Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at the Passover this, uh, this evening out of Exodus 12. And in verse number one, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his, uh, his eating shall make your, uh, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male for the uh, first year. You shall take it fr out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden out uh, at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain unto the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. All right, in your, in your notes there, I'm not sure, we probably aren't going to get through all of these here this evening. We had our one o'clock service today, and I didn't get uh, as far, but... Whatever we don't, just put it in your Bible and we'll get right back to it uh, next Wednesday. But we're going to look at the main idea here in these next couple chapters here as we do our verse-by-verse -verse study. We're going to see the, the story of the Passover. And remember God's saving power and his grace from generation to generation. What we're going to find here is that God is going to show us that he is from generation to generation looking to redeem mankind. Now remember the thread, the thread of just redemption, the thread of, of God uh, uh, wanting and desiring to save humankind. From the beginning in the garden when man sinned, God promised a savior, right? He, he uh, promised that there would be a Messiah that would come. And all through scripture, we find this thread of the Messiah, we find this thread, the promise of the Messiah. We find this thread that God's redemptive plan. I said this Sunday morning as well, and I remind us this evening, that even when God, during the time of the tribulation of this earth, and he is pouring his wrath out because God can allow sin into his presence and sin must be judged. When God is pouring his wrath out during the second half of the tribulation, you know what he's still seeking to do? Save. He's still seeking to save. He's still seeking to redeem mankind. And so we see this in Exodus chapter number 12. They're at the point now where they have cried out to the Lord. The Lord's heard their cry. He sent Moses. He's raised up a leader. Moses, then we studied where Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron stand before Pharaoh. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh then decides on and off he's going to let him go. Then he's going to make him stay. Let him go. Make him stay. He goes through all of these plagues. And what God did in the plagues is a reminder what God showed the, the uh, uh, Israelites and what he showed the Egyptians was this, that he's greater than all the gods the Egyptians are worshiping. And he purposely used the plagues 
to show as they worshiped the, the frogs as a, the god of fertility. You know what he showed them? He's greater than any god, small g, that they're worshiping. The reason I believe that we would find that, and I said this several weeks ago, this, that God not only desired to get his people out of Egypt, he desired to get Egypt out of his people. They were going to come to a place of a, prom- a promised land. He did not desire for his, the Egyptians, their, their influence, they had lived here for some 430 some years, and he did not want the Israelites to bring the Egyptian gods, and he didn't want to bring their lifestyle. He didn't want to bring anything that the Egyptians used to worship God, the, their gods, and, and not worship the one and only God. And so what God did through those plagues was to reveal his power, to show that he's greater than any God that the Egyptians served so that his people would depend fully upon him. And so we come to this place now in chapter number 12, and it's the Passover. Have you ever had any experiences that you, you'll never forget? Anybody in your life, you'll never forget an experience. You had those, few of you? Someone want to share one of those experiences with us? The birth of your children, all right. Yeah, that's a great one to never forget. Somebody else? Salvation of myself and my children, my wife. All right, great. Salvation, what else? What's an event in your life that you'll never, ever forget? First time I came in through those doors, I hadn't heard a word of preaching, but I knew this was where I was supposed to be. Amen, great. All right, so his first time here at the church. Somebody else? What's an event in your life you'll never forget? Some of you are smiling like you got something. You're just not sure if you can say it, right? But everyone has an event, right? I mean, Greg, like the first time you saw your wife, that would be an event you'll never forget, right? I know you're going to say that. You were thinking that, you know? You know, every one of us do. What? There's events that, you know, in the past that some events in our life, though, in the past, they have consequences that we'd like to forget. Right? How many of you have events that you'll never forget, but you'd like to forget? I know I've got those. And those consequences that come you know, with those events. And, and maybe it is a yeah, move to a new location. Maybe it's a proposal to somebody that said no, you know, and you just think, man, this was just awful. I wish I could forget these events. And as we, as we continue this journey through Exodus, I want us to find a story of a life-changing event here in chapter number 12 and 13 for Israel. And God is wanting to bring something to their mind that's going to show them constantly God's redemptive power. It's going to reveal continually to them his, not only his power, but his mercy and his justice. The Passover is a, it's a huge event in the life of the Israelites here. It's not just something that happened in Egypt. It's going to be something that's going to follow them, even once they're out of Egypt. And it's an event that took place that they're never going to forget who God is. They're never going to forget God's saving power. And they're not going to forget this because it's something they're going to celebrate from generation to generation. In, 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 in the New Testament, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. How many of you remember the Lord's Supper? He's with his disciples. And what does he do? He, he says this, do this in remembrance of me in Luke 22. What were they doing? You know what they were celebrating? You know what they were there? The Passover. 
The Passover was, as we read in Exodus chapter number 12, it was a time where uh, the Lord told Moses to tell his people, the death angel is going to come. And I want to redeem my people, or I want to save my people from this event. And so what you've got to do, and we read there's a a lamb, a, a lamb without blemish, and there were specific criteria that they had to do and use, even on the day and how long that lamb was there before they burned him, and even how they burned him, and 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 all these criteria that God laid out, and then to take the blood and put the blood over the doorpost and the side post, so that when they the, the death angel came and saw the blood applied, what, what would happen? They'd pass over, right? That's the name, the Passover. And so what we find is God there is saving. He's showing his people his redemptive plan. Now, what we find with this is there's a way that God has said is a way to be redeemed back to him. If any of the Israelites would have done it their own way, they would have not been saved here from this death angel. And it doesn't remind us of religion today. There's many religions today, they want to do it their way. They want to add something to the scripture. They're not content with what the scripture says and they feel there's something more that they have to add to this. And what God was showing uh, that Israel here was it's his plan. It's his redemptive plan. Him redeeming mankind back to him is what his plan is for us. And we can't accomplish it how we want it accomplished and we can't do it our way. We've got to follow God's way. And he's showing them that. He's showing them, and Jesus, we know this, that Jesus would be that Passover lamb. It's a lamb without spot and without blemish, a perfect lamb. And that perfect lamb for us is Jesus Christ. And and, and there's nothing, no religion and no works, there's nothing, good deeds, there's nothing that can cause a person to be redeemed back to God other than the lamb the lamb that was slain. In Jesus Christ, the New Testament shows us that Jesus is that Passover lamb. And the Israelites, so they observed this Passover there in Egypt, and they celebrated it for 40 years in the, in the wilderness. This is something that every year they would celebrate. Again, it was a reminder to generations to come. Could you imagine the, um, this tradition, this reminder? So as, as the children were born and they then began to remember or, or realize what was going on, the parents would sit there and remind them and tell them, we were in Egypt and we were in bondage and, 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 and Egypt had us uh, uh, as slaves, but we cried out to God and God heard our prayers and he, and he raised up a deliverer for us. And, and, and there's these plagues that, that, uh, uh, that we saw God, God do. And in all of the gods of Egypt that, that, that we worshiped and the Egyptians taught us to worship, you know what we realized? That there's only one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And just imagine telling this story to your children. And then there was a, a knife that we were told that you've got to go and you've got to sacrifice this lamb. And, and I'll never forget that that night, the firstborn was killed on anyone who didn't have the blood. But those of us, that blood that was across our doorpost and, and our side post of our door, when the death angel saw that, he passed by us and God delivered us. And what they would be doing from generation to generation is reminding their children, reminding the generation that God had a redemptive plan for mankind. And that it was God's plan that worked, not man's plan. 
And aren't you glad that, that God didn't just choose to save one generation and say, you know what, forget everybody else? You know, even in the New Testament or the Old Testament, when, when the Bible says that it grieved God that he had made man and because man got so wicked in the times of Noah, but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God wasn't willing for the whole human race to, to be extinct. He used Noah. He saved Noah. And so we constantly see through the Bible this redemptive plan that God has. And, I, and so I've outlined this section. There's four remembers here, and then we'll get to the last one here probably next week and in several of these next week. But I want to look at first the, the, re, the remember the substitute. God's desire for his people was to remember. I think it's important because if we're not careful, church, we could get to the place where, number one, we take advantage of God or without even realizing it. We take advantage of his grace and his mercy. And I think constantly through the Old Testament, you know what you'd find? You'd find memorials or times where God would tell his people, remember. Remember as the children of Israel were crossing over the Jordan River, he said, I want you to take stones and I want you to place those stones there in the middle of the Jordan. And when your children see them and say, what mean ye these stones? Tell your children what God did. And a good thing like this evening is we just take a few minutes before we start and, and just share our testimonies. You know what we're doing? We're remembering who God is. How many of you would agree with this? We can live our lives and our lives at times get so busy Anybody have any problems today or this week at all? Anybody besides me? I'm like both hands, both feet. I mean, man, oh man, you ever just go through a week and you think, does it ever end? Huh? We can live our lives because it's hectic. There's problems. There's burdens we carry. We can go through life and we can just survive. Just do you, ever, do you ever just say, man, I just want to get through this day? I can't wait to get to bed tonight because then that means this day is over. I can wake up and it's a brand new day. And if we live life that way, we don't live life then remembering God is good. And I think it's important for us to put reminders in our life continually to remember who God is. The, this generation that was going to spend 40 years in the wilderness and then the generation that was going to go in the promised land and then two or three generations down. You know, the problem would be this. They weren't there during the plagues. They didn't live in Egypt. But God still wanted them to be his people. He still wanted their worship. He still desired for them to worship him and serve him. And so what they did is they set up this Passover as a time every year where generations to come would remember God's redemptive plan. And so let's look at this, first of all, remembering the substitute. In the first 28 verses of the book of Exodus, we read several of them here, we find, we find the substitute, this substitute that God asked them to do. You know, here in the United States, there are significant events that uh, have resulted in our history that causes us to schedule holidays, right? So what are some, what are some holidays, some United States holidays that we celebrate as memorial things? Anybody? Fourth of July. What do we celebrate Fourth of July? 
Independence Day. There was, um, uh, uh, ever see uh, Walter's, Walter's World? Anybody watch Fox News? Is it, what is it? Waters, not Walters, Waters World. Yeah, he, he was, uh, uh, 4th of July, he's asking uh, uh, Americans, so what do we do on the 4th of July? What do we celebrate? And they're like, I, I don't know. And, and he says, well, it was our independence. And, and then he said, you know, when we gained our independence from China during the Civil War, I mean, he put all this stuff together and they're like, yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, that's exactly why we celebrate the 4th of July. And he's like, uh, no. And he said this, he said, now, which of the founding fathers do you like most, Jesse Ventura? And he named a, a couple guys, and the guy says, yeah, I like Jesse Ventura, I like him. He's my favorite founding father. And he said, well, you can't pick him, he's my favorite. And the guy says, I think that Lincoln guy, yeah, I think he's my favorite. And, and the problem was, someone forgot to teach him. These events, Memorial Day and, and Labor Day and Veterans Day, these are events that we have in our country's heritage where we go back and remember, we thank those that have fought in wars. We, we, we celebrate the, the birth of our nation, the independence from not China, but England, right? And, and so these are things, even in our own country, that we set aside so that we can remember and celebrate events of the past. These are days, there are times to remember what's happened in the past. And God told Moses and Aaron that there's going to be a, a new calendar. Look with me in the first two verses of Exodus chapter number thir- uh, 12. He says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. He's getting ready to redeem them. He's getting ready to allow this Passover to go over. He's getting ready to show the Uh, the type of Christ, what's to come, the Passover lamb, the shedding of the blood. The shedding of blood blood causes us to have life and not death. And so he says this, I want to start a brand new calendar. I want to start a new year and a new month. This event in the life of the Israelites We are going to start a brand new calendar. We're not going off the calendar that the Egyptians have set. It's brand new. It's a fresh start. And what he wants them to remember is is him redeeming them. And it's a great fresh start. You know, isn't that the way salvation is? The moment that we get saved, it's a brand new beginning. It's a fresh start. The Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're not in bondage to sin any longer. We're not, we're not uh, uh, a child of, 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 of this world and we're not bound to the, to the sins of this world, but we're a child of God. It's a new life. And all through here in Exodus chapter 12, what he's showing us, it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of, of you and I not having to celebrate the bondage that we had in the past, but you and I able to start new. Aren't you so glad that God is a God that starts new? Gives us second chances. Aren't you glad that you're saved and even uh, we're saved and it's not like, well, when we get to heaven one day, uh, we'll have, you know, peace and a new body and everything's gonna be great. But until then, you know, we're still in the bondage of sin. No, the moment we got saved, we're free from the bondage of sin. Sin doesn't have to have a hold on us. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, dwells inside of us, that gives us strength. And the Bible says, greater is he that is what? In me than he that is in the world. 
and it's a fresh start. Aren't you glad for fresh starts? I love fresh starts. And here's a new beginning. God established this calendar based on theology. He said, what do you mean by that? Uh, At the beginning of each year, they would remember God's great salvation. Now, how many of you make New Year's commitments in the beginning of the year? Anybody do that? I, uh, I don't normally do those, you know, whether it be a diet or, or whatever it be, but one of the things I do do is I, looking ahead of the new year, that week between Christmas and New Year, I will take my prayer list and I'll restructure my prayer list. I'll read uh, uh, how I'm going to study the Bible or read the Bible through that year just to make things fresh and, and uh, just set some personal goals that I want to have for uh, myself, my family, and, and uh, just do some things different. I don't want my relationship with the Lord to get stale. I don't want my Bible reading to get stale or my prayer life just to get mundane. And so I always do. And I don't know what it is, but something about a new year causes it to be a great opportunity for us to start things new. I remember it was 10 years ago this year, my dad died. And I remember that year in 2007, I remember my mom saying, I can't wait till this year's over. Now, going into 2008 wasn't going to bring my dad back. And she wasn't thinking that. She just couldn't wait for all of the emotions and all the things that we went through in 2007 to be behind us so she can start fresh. And that's what God's doing here to Israel. All the bondage that you were in, every year I want you to remember we got a fresh start. And we're going to start this year off with remembering there was a substitute for our sin. There was a substitute. We didn't have to die in our sin. We didn't have to die in Egypt, in bondage in Egypt. And we don't have to die in trespasses and sin. We have a deliverer. We have a savior. We have a Passover, and that's Jesus Christ. And it ought to be something that every day, every year, we're reminded that we have a new day. We have a new month. We have a new year to where we can serve Jesus and not have to live in this and serve the world and serve the bondage to sin that we had before. And so we, we find him, he, he establishes this calendar. And this change in their calendar is to focus on the, uh, theology points, to focus on the fact that God saved us, saved us, to focus on the fact that he's redeemed us, to focus on the fact that he's brought us out of bondage, and to focus on the fact that his desire for us is to live a sanctified life. Now, What's the difference between justification and sanctification? Somebody tell us. Justification is just as I've never sinned. Okay. So the moment that you're saved, you're justified. God sees you not in your sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. So you're justified. You're saved. Justification, a great way to remember justification is this, just as if I had never sinned. God sees me and he sees Jesus Christ. The Bible, New Testament tells us we're in Christ. I'm justified. I can't lose that, right? I'm engraved in his hand. Sanctification, the Bible teaches us, it's a process that we're living. The day we're saved, we then have an opportunity to become like Christ. Now, we're not perfect and we'll never achieve that here upon this earth. But I believe this, that every Christian and Paul through the New Testament shows us that every Christian ought to be striving to be like Christ. 
We're ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. And we ought to continually, every day of our life, be striving to be like Christ. And, 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 and here, there's a reminder here that we are to, uh, uh, as they begin this new calendar, as they begin this new focus, that they are not to be like Egypt, but to be like God's chosen people that he desires for them to be. And so, remember, God's desire was to get them out of Egypt, and God's desire was to get Egypt out of them. And God's desire is to save us from our sin and save us from death and his desires to get the world out of us, right? So we're not to get saved and then turn back and live a life of, of, of sin and in bondage. Once we're saved, we ought to be developing our walk with Christ and becoming each day more like Christ. That's the sanctification process. And so we remember Remember the substitute. They were to take this lamb, the Bible tells us, on the 10th day of the month for each household or the number of people who could eat a lamb. In verse number four, the lamb served as a substitute, right? This lamb, though, this lamb was the only acceptable if it was one year old without blemish. Verse number five tells us this. Look with me in verse number five of chapter, chapter 12. It says this, for your lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goat. You can't just go choose whatever you want to choose. I showed you this video Sunday. There isn't any way to heaven that you want. It isn't as long as I'm sincere. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as I'm sincere, there is only one way. They couldn't go out and say, you know what? I don't want to take a two-year-old, a one-year-old lamb. I'm going to take a two-year-old lamb, and I'm not going to take a, a one without blemish. I'm going to just do it my way. No person can do it their way and accept for, uh, expect God to accept it. The only way God accepted this was his way. Religion wasn't going to save them. It was obedience to God. Doing it their way, even if they were sincere or thought in, 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 in uh, 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 Genesis when Cain and Abel, right? There was, a, there was a way that God desired for them to sacrifice. One did it the way God desired, the other one didn't. Why was it such a, a, a wrong thing? Because God said, I want a lamb. I want to sacrifice a lamb. Because God was, even from that point, even when he clothed Adam and Eve, a sacrifice was made for their sin. And then Cain, right, Cain thought he was going to do it his way. And his sacrifice, the Bible says, was not acceptable unto God. And isn't it amazing, man, how angry man gets when God doesn't allow him to do it his way? Why wouldn't we just accept how God wants it accomplished and what God wants done? And we find here in verses four and five a specific way that God desired. The substitute had to be the way God desired it to be. It was selected on the 10th day and kept until the 14th day. And these, these qualifications that we find here in Exodus chapter 12, they're very important because in Deuteronomy 17.1, God said that a blemished animal used for a sacrifice was what? An abomination. And Israel needed a perfect substitute. Anything other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
It's an abomination. It's not, God doesn't accept it. And that's why you can't add anything to salvation. That's not why it's not Jesus plus good works or Jesus plus what I give or Jesus plus membership. There's Jesus plus nothing. Anything you add, what you're saying is, I'm going to give, I'm going to add more to what God said was sufficient. And the sacrifice, Jesus Christ is sufficient. The lamb here in Exodus chapter 12, it was sufficient. And we, we, um, uh, let me, let me just move on a little bit quicker here so I can get to this second point. We need to remember, remember the severity of, and mercy of God. Remember the severity and the mercy of God. In Exodus chapter 12, I want to look in verse number 29, if you would please. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of the Pharaoh that sat on his throne under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And so he desires for us to remember the severity and the mercy of God. You know, God's desire, he wants to be central in our life. You know, before we got saved, life was about us. Life was about my needs and my desires and living for me. But the moment that we get saved, God wants to be the, the central person in all we do. I, um, I, have, I have someone like that in my home, our youngest daughter, Chloe. She likes everything to revolve around, uh, revolve around her. We, um, if you come to visit the other kids, it's not that they're being rude or they're just not, they just might as well, they'd sit in the corner and no attention, you know? Chloe's not that way. Chloe, before you even have a seat, she'll be on your lap. <laughs> she'll be asked, she'll ask you, what's your favorite color? Do you have a dog? Do you, you know, do you have a phone? Can I use your phone? Do you have games on your phone? She'll get all this information out of you. She likes to be the center of attention. If you look at the definition of center of attention, you'll see a picture of her right there. It's her. Uh, about a year ago or so, I was uh, preaching. I used that as an example. And I said, you know, she, she really concerns us. She never met a stranger. She walks up to people. What's your favorite color? Do you have a dog? You know, what's your name? What's your birthday? She gets your social security number. It's a great scam that we do. Um, and she's so cute. You give it to her. <laughs> I said, she'll ask for your phone. She'll be moving through your pictures, make sure there's nothing on there that she can't see because I'm telling you, she knows how to use that. And I walked out and that's when we had a sofa out there and, and I walked out after one of the services and there she was sitting on the couch with someone I didn't recognize. And I went over and I acted like I was interested in who they were, um, you know, because I wanted to meet them. Really, I wanted to know who my daughter was sitting next to, my five-year-old daughter, you know, these two people, you know, she's sitting on their lap and I'm like, I don't know you. How are you? Yeah, we're our first-time visitors. And they said, and um, we met your sermon illustration. <laughs> it was the day I told her. I said, oh, I'm sorry. They said, yeah, she already knows our favorite color, what her names are, and she knows her dog name, and she's there with their phone flicking through their pictures. Center of attention. That's her. And that's exactly what God desires out of us. You know, every decision we make, you know what he wants? To be center. Every 
where we go, he wants to be considered. The truth is, you know, we live our lives and sometimes we don't put God in the center. It isn't amazing that when we figure that out and we get ourselves in trouble, then we want God to get us out of this trouble. And as Christians, to keep us from that, you know where we need to keep God? Right there in the middle. Every decision we make revolves around what he desires. The safest place for a Christian to be is in a place where you're letting God control your life. Now, we look at the life of the Israelites and we probably, if you're like me, you scratch your head and say, why can't they get this? Like, how, how foolish do you have to be? But then you evaluate your own life and you think, I do the same thing. Well, if, if God only did this, then I probably wouldn't. How many times has God blessed you? How many times has God, God shown himself strong? Really, in our own life, what else does God have to do to show his power and show his grace in our life? The reality is, if we were honest, we would be here all evening just giving testimony of who God is in his greatness and his power and his strength. And we so easily can forget. And how many of us have made decisions where God's not the center of it? God brings Israel to a place here where he shows them the severity of it in mercy. The firstborn child in the time of Moses, it held much responsibility. This, this firstborn ch child had wonderful privileges. So the firstborn child of Pharaoh, you know what he was going to become? The next Pharaoh. If a, if a family had wealth, you know who got that wealth? The firstborn child. That's why it was so important for in, uh, with, with um, uh, Jacob and Esau to sell that birthright because Esau was going to get everything and, and Jacob wanted everything and so you know what he did? He tricked Esau. The firstborn was going to get so much. There was so much power and so much uh, 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 resources and, and, and privileges that would come. And can you understand the tragedy to lose this firstborn child? There was a time, if, especially if it was a firstborn male, they would have children until they had a male child. Not a, like a post office child, but, you know, a male, male child. And this was a, a at the, in this time of history, this was a, a privileged position. In God, then, he shows them, he reveals himself to Israel and to Egypt that he is going to save this child that belongs to Israel. It's the firstborn child. He's going to save. He's going to save them in, Israel, in Egypt and all the Egyptian children, the firstborn, they didn't have the blood and they were going to die. And killing this firstborn, it tells of the seriousness of the transgression that, that Egypt was going to have. Egypt had turned their back on God. Pharaoh turned his back on God. Egypt served other gods. Instead of humbling himself and submitting himself to God, what did he do through his magicians and through his priests? You know what he tried to do constantly do through the plagues? Challenge God's authority. Challenge God who he was. 
Instead of just submitting to God and humbling himself and saying, God, whatever you desire for your people Israel, I'll, I'll submit to you. Instead of that, his heart was hardened toward God. And God probably in that took one of the most important thing to the Egyptians. And that was the firstborn. All those that they were going to give their life to, their riches to, their resources to. And that night, God took that and he showed them their seriousness to their transgression. In this passage on the death of the firstborn, we see God's redeeming power. It's displayed in the, the way that he delivers Israel but allows the Egyptian ba babies to die, the firstborn to die. Now, how did that happen? You know, this is interesting for us because God's plan always works. And I want you to remember this before we close this evening. God's way always works. If their blood was applied and they followed the plan, they were delivered. If it wasn't applied, there was death. We can't comprehend. We'd get confused. We'd make mistakes. You ever promised to do something and you didn't do it? That, that happens more times than me than I want. I want to return a call or get back to someone and the day gets late and you lay there in bed and you, man, there's a hundred things I didn't get to today. I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> you know, the reality is we can let each other and ourselves down. But God's promise, it never fails. Do you know this? There was not one mistake. Not one person got up that next morning and said, God, I don't understand. I did it your way. I did it exactly how you said to do it. I took a lamb of one year. I was an unblemished lamb, and, and we killed it on the 10th day and, 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 and sacrificed on the 14th day, and we put the blood exactly where you said to put it, and you still, you still took our firstborn. Do you know not one mistake? Not one person that came out that did it the way God did, said to do it, they saw the death of their firstborn. And not one person that's saved by the way of the cross is going to experience death. God keeps his promise. When it's done God's way, and that is what God was showing Israel from this time, from this new month to this new year, what he's showing them is he keeps his promise. He never fails. You're never disappointed in believing in the promises of God. And you know this as well. Not one person that disobeyed God. Not one Egyptian where the blood wasn't applied. Not one family that said, I'm going to do it my way and not listen to one. Not one family walked out that morning and their child was alive. You know what that shows us? Denying it the way God wants it done always leads to death and destruction. God keeps his promise. And God always, God always, his mercy is always there for those that do it the way he designed. But the punishment is there for those that transgress against God. Every Egyptian, every person that walked out of their house, the blood was not applied. There was death to the firstborn. 
every Israelite that walked out of their house, the blood was applied, their firstborn was saved. You say, what's the importance of that? The importance of that is you can trust a God that always keeps his promises. He's establishing now with his people, as they're getting ready to leave Egypt and getting, to the, getting into the, the wilderness, heading toward the promised land, he's establishing a principle with him that he always keeps his word. Aren't you glad that no matter what you get into in life, you can rely upon the promises of God? Could you imagine tonight if you couldn't trust God? I mean, if I couldn't trust him for my salvation, could I trust him for anything? The reality is this, there's not one promise in his word that he's ever lied. There's not one promise, there's not one principle that you could ever point to and say, God, you weren't just. There's not a person that goes to the Lord by way of the cross where God denies if a person confesses with their mouth, Lord Jesus, and believes in their heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? And if God always keeps his promise with salvation, then I can believe and trust him in every other promise in my life. Aren't you glad that if we live by the principles of the word of God, we have the blessings of God? And so he's establishing this with them in this first chapter, of uh, chapter 12 here this evening. This new month, this new year. Trust God, believe him, do it his way. Because this is the reality. There was going to be trials that were going to come now. And just like the Christian life, once Israel, once Israel was delivered through this Passover and began their journey and their deliverance from Egypt, there were trials that came. And there were times where they needed to depend upon God. And that's why God said, I want you to mark this as a memory. I want you to mark this because I want you to see that remember my mercy. Remember my judgment. Remember my judgment against Egypt for disobeying. And remember my mercy towards you for obeying. And when you get a place in your life where things are difficult and you don't understand, you find yourself in the desert and you find yourself wanting to know, was this the right decision? Was I supposed to do this? and you know that you are following the principles of God's word, you know what you can always do? Take rest. Rest in this, that God never lies. I was witnessing to a person just recently. I was at a restaurant, and I was telling our waitress, just giving her the gospel. She said this, how do you believe that? I said, God's word says it. She says, you believe everything the Bible says? I said, I believe everything the Bible says. And she said, so you truly believe that you're that sure and that confident that you're going to have heaven? I said, I believe everything the Bible says. And she just couldn't figure out. She says, so you never like doubt and wonder? Like, am I really saved? Is this really the right way? I said, that's the wonderful thing about God. I don't have to doubt him because he doesn't lie. I said, now, if I was promising you something, you might have to doubt me. But when God promises, 
He always is true to his word. Isn't that wonderful? From salvation to every other step in our life. Remember, I think it's important for us this evening, and we'll pick up where we left off next week. I think it's important for us this evening to set memorials and remember these things in our life. What I just was counseling someone recently, and they said, I need to, um, I need to uh, figure out what God wants, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how. How do you know God's will? And I tell them this, that I believe this, that if you're really truly searching for God's will, I believe God reveals it three ways, his will. I believe he reveals it through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. In the multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. I believe God shows us his word through wise counsel. I think it's why it's very important for people in life to have counselors that walk with God, that are godly men and godly women that you can go to for advice. Most of the time, if we're not careful, we go to the people we want advice that are going to think and agree with us, don't we? But we need to know, we need to be sure that there are godly people in our life that when we go to, they know, they know God because they spend time with God. And we seek them out. I go to Tim, and Tim's a godly man. I seek wisdom. And through that counsel, I receive wisdom. Now, I believe that's how we hear from God. Because if you hear this audible voice, you probably had Alan's chili too late at night. God doesn't give us through an audible voice. God speaks to us through counsel of wisdom. Jesus, where do I find, how does Jesus speak to me? The Bible says this, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, right? And John, I believe that God speaks to you or Jesus speaks to you through his word. He'll never advise you to do something contrary to his word. Never. And God confirms it. Every major decision in my life that I have ever had to make, there's a verse or a section of verses in the word of God that I go to. When I was praying about coming and pastoring Monclova, it wasn't about, well, let's just go see how we feel. Because if you make decisions on how you feel, tomorrow you're going to feel different. I sought wisdom. sought counsel. Number two, I get into the word of God and I... Get the counsel from the word of God. In the beginning of his word, Jesus speaks to me through the word of God. That's why it's so important for a Christian to be in the word of God. Third thing is this, I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Because I believe this, the Bible teaches the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they always agree. And so if I get wise counsel from godly men, godly women, the word of God then should be in agreement with that. If it's not, then you know what? I don't think I ought to do it. And the Holy Spirit comforts and gives a peace that passeth all understanding. Even in the midst of the storm, you know what the Holy Spirit can do? He can give you peace. In every decision in life that we have to make, I believe this, God gives you wisdom through counsel. The Holy Spirit gives you a peace. That's why I think it's dangerous. Let me just weigh out all the pros and all the cons. And if there's more pros and cons, then we're going to do it. The man is right. You can weigh out all the options and all the options look bad, but if the Holy Spirit of God gives you a peace and confirms it with the word of God and confirms it with wisdom, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like, you know what you have to do? Follow the Lord. I think that's the 
biblical principle that we ought to follow in every decision that we make. And God's showing that here. He's showing that to his people that they can trust him. We can trust God. We can trust his word. You get into a place in your life where you're not quite sure, what am I supposed to do? I believe this, God will give us wisdom. God will confirm in his word. And then we have a peace. Jesus, there was a storm. Remember the storm he was with, with his disciples in the boat? And they're all afraid. Now, do you really think that Jesus was going to let his disciples drown? I'm sure there was probably a time he probably thought that might be a good idea. You know, <laughs> not going to let him drown. You know what he knew? He knew in Acts chapter 2 that they were going to need to preach the gospel and 3,000 people were going to be saved. That storm that they were in was just about training because there was something great that God was going to need. You know what they had to learn? Trust Jesus. Hear the voice of the Lord and trust him even in the storm. And so here Israel is about ready to get into the desert. They're going to get hungry. They're going to get thirsty. You ever been in the desert? Get hot? Right? How many of you love to stand outside in the heat? Imagine being in the desert. Look for a tree. You find a tree and you dive into the water and it's a mirage. It's fake. <laughs> Just dived into sand. What he's doing is he's showing them. He's putting a memory, putting, causing them to remember because life was about ready to get difficult for them. And they needed to remember the substitute. They needed to remember God's mercy. They needed to remember that when you disobey God, God judges sin. And I think the same reminder is good for us. We need to remember Often in our life, God's power, God's mercy, God's grace. Because listen, God's not done with you the day he saved you. Doesn't that excite you as a Christian? Wasn't it great that it wasn't just, let's get you out of Egypt, but it was more to than getting him out of Egypt? God saved you, and God has more for your life here upon this earth after salvation. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to be found faithful.